St. Augustine, W-A-T-Y, Folkestone, Georgia. Online at ilovethetruth.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Can Ukrainians survive another winter of Russia targeting the power grid? A NATO chief says Russia has collected a large missile stockpile to make Ukraine go dark this winter. Slava Gospel Association's Eric Mock says they're working with local churches in Ukraine to distribute food and diesel fuel to evacuate villagers on the front lines. Pray for Ukrainian believers encouraged by SGA's ministry and non-believers finding comfort in Jesus Christ. And 2023 was full of dramatic weather events, from catastrophic earthquakes and cyclones to wildfires on multiple continents. Climate activists blame humanity for worsening natural disasters, and they're kicking off the COP28 in Dubai to find solutions. International Media Ministries' Denise Godwin says it's human nature to always find a scapegoat. Sin takes many forms, but there's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. Ask God how you might turn current events into a gospel conversation. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Hey folks, good afternoon. Welcome to SWAT Radio. Brad Sykes sitting alongside my good buddy, Doug McCary. Coming to you live December 1st, Doug. Can you believe December already? Come on now. I cannot believe we are December 2023, but the time just continues to fly. The older you get, the quicker Isn't it Isn't that goes. the truth? I, I went over and uh, sat with m- one of my one of my eight grandsons today. <clears throat> Graham and he's just almost two as you know I'm probably covered in food but uh I rolled around on the ground with him for about three hours and I'm ready for a nap <laughs> there you go <laughs> you ever do that <clears throat> oh yeah uh, yeah I, I got I got I don't I don't think I have as many as you I've only got I think we got seven so yeah but uh yeah I get nap time often after <laughs> the grandkids. that's when you realize you're getting old right yeah. yes hey I know we got a great treat today in fact I, you know usually I guess for the last year or so i've kind of let you have guest day you know it's like whenever we have a guest in i usually go spend the afternoon with my bride yeah but, but knowing knowing our guest today i figured you I'm couldn't resist in. you just could not resist you know vicky obviously our guest today has been so i've been deeply impacted in fact my wife and i both over the last 30 well 40 almost 40 years we've been married and I give a lot of credit to this guest of ours. And so we are uh, once again uh, getting a treat today by our mm-hmm. good friend Tommy Nelson at Denton Bible Church. You know, Doug, I was going back over uh, our first, you know, this says something about our, uh, e- either Tommy doesn't really uh, know how massive this radio broadcast is. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> but uh we had him on first time may 29th 2017 yep i may have to go back and listen you, to that wow you know what it was that was the continental divide continental message. divide conversation so, hey hey tommy uh i know you're i think i hear you there are you uh are you yeah with us? i'm right here in denton texas <laughs> uh, how, how how are you doing i know you're pretty excited about those cowboys winning probably huh you know they are if uh they can just beat number one and number two teams we're gonna win this thing <laughs> we can just not regulate our, our uh, lineup quite so much yeah but Things are doing fine in Denton, Texas. How, how are the powerhouse North Texas Mean Green doing? The mean Green. 
You know, uh, suffice it to say, they're doing better than they did when I was playing. <laughs> and I'll just leave it right there. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, well, I am so thankful for you joining us. And as, as Brad shared, um, Tommy, you've met Brad. Uh, he is... Um, he and I have talked a lot about you. You have been a great influence on both of us and a lot of men. We were talking the other day, Tommy, we, neither one of us know another pastor that has influenced so many younger men and mentored uh, the way second Timothy two, two, where did that come from with you? Was that Mel or the guy who mentored you some the pastor? Or where did that come from? What, put you know, that burden on you? that's, that was in my DNA. I, um, when I trusted Christ, I got grabbed by Campus Crusade early on in 1973. And um, Crusade's entire ministry is, uh, you know, the big meeting and then the uh, uh, action groups and discovery groups and then the master action groups. So to the faithful guys, they keep opening the door and letting them go on. And I wanted to know my Bible. I wanted to know how to put it into work, and I wanted to know how to preach it, how to teach it. And so Crusade just poured gas on my fire. And I had a a Campus Crusade, um, really, he was the first Josh McDowell that kind of took me under his wing. And we spent time together. And so I grew up being discipled, having somebody that was there for me to teach me, hold me into an accountability, to uh, stretch me. And somehow I, I figured out later on when I got into the more ecclesiastic ministry, I thought everybody did this, <laughs> and I found out everybody does not do that. Yeah. And um, I think anybody that really grew up in a parachurch ministry, so, I, I hate to say it, but sometimes they will have a... Um, they'll have a step ahead on everybody else. And because parachurch ministry doesn't ever try to get the big numbers at a big event, they're always trying to to uh, winnow on down to the few the, the, that want to go and to use their lives to reach the world. And matter of fact, when I was at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks once said that, you know, a church has a big meeting on Sunday, but it better be taking the stars and shaping them during the week. And he said, frankly, the only people that know how to do this are the cults mm-hmm. and uh, parachurch groups. And he said, whenever a, a Mormon comes to your door, who's with him? It's another Mormon. Whenever a Jehovah's Witness comes to the door, it's with another Jehovah's Witness. So they know how the older guy trains the younger guy. They know how to do it, but the, the evangelical Protestant church still just preaches for the big event mm-hmm. and does not take the few and pour into them uh, that they might teach others also. So I got grabbed early on by that, and it's been my... Uh, profile my thumbprint for the last 50 years and one of the guys that you mentored uh, who is on staff for you is going to end up being the guy that really yep. kind of replaces replace you me. logan right yep. logan, logan we- uh, nyquist and of course i have 50 staff and only a few of them uh, are not from our discipleship both our women wow. and our guys we built our church on Sunday morning, and then during the week we have um, uh, what are called two-seven groups where you mm-hmm. study the Bible, put it to work in your life, and then when you're finished, we make you a leader. Mm-hmm. And so we built our church, and all our elders come from within, our staff comes from within, 
you just learn to roll your own, so to speak. And that's kind of how we learned it from early on. Mel was taught by a uh, uh, Dallas Seminary, uh, I believe he was a navigator. That took Mel that was the guy that started the church right before I got here. And so he started, he had the same deal that I did. And so as I went to seminary, I remember one time, Doug, uh, the chaplain at Dallas Seminary, uh, Richard Sumi, he said, uh, how many of you guys here were reached by a parachurch group on a college campus? And 80% of us raised our hands mm-hmm. because they were kind of the, um, the parachurch has been kind of the Jesuit missionaries of Protestantism, of going where nobody else has gone and uh, taking the gospel and, and working with a few. And that is kind of the way that uh, the, the parachurches have been, FCA, Campus Crusade, uh, Navigators, Young Life, Youth for Christ. Uh, and so the, the churches get more into the big event. Um, parachurch groups are into the few, the faithful. And that's really what Jesus did. He was a pretty good preacher. You know, he could draw a crowd. <laughs> yeah, he but was. Once, once he got loose of that crowd, he grabbed a few guys. And uh, when we start the book of um, Acts, we got 12 guys and about 110 more praying together. And that's where we all started, mm-hmm. with those quality men that he started with. Well, you know, uh, Tommy, um, uh, you, you and Steve Farrar had a, a – a real, and Joe White, all three of you guys right. had a very significant impact on SWAT. Yeah, I mean the the reason oh, yeah. we started SWAT was to build deep. In fact, Steve Farrar told me he said, "Doug, he goes, you know, let me encourage you to go deep with guys. The, the, you know, there's a lot of guys that are good speakers across the country. He goes, what we need is guys to go deep. And so, 12 years ago is when we started SWAT and. And Brad, I'll tell you, it, we don't have numbers in the hundreds. We, yeah. we, you know, we we got about 150 guys that come to all during the month, but there's about a solid 80 or 90 guys that we go deep. They've gone to Israel. They've gone on mission trips, and right. uh, and um, you know, we are what you're talking about. We got about 18 different churches represented there yeah. Yeah, that right. guys that's come fantastic. from. And uh, but but you, you we are a product a Second Timothy two two of you and Joe and yeah. and Steve and and you know we need that and and somewhere along the line the church kind of got off as a whole yeah. on, on the disciple making didn't it it just kind of went you a little know, sideways. It did. I, uh... I uh, I remember hearing the story of a guy that was talking about the Lord, and he was talking to a guy that was an astrophysicist. And the astrophysicist said, well, to me, um, you know, religion is Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> and the guy said, you know, astrophysics to me is twinkle, twinkle, little star. Yes, <laughs> that's funny. And so it, it, it goes real deep powerful and sublime mm. but it is sadly enough the world's best kept secret always has been mm-hmm. you know tommy i was uh it came to christ in 1980 and uh the the night i surrendered to christ the next day my brother-in-law who really uh, god used to lead me to christ called me you know this pre pre-cell phones calls me says hey i'm on my way over to pick you up he comes over picks me up hands me a bible we go get breakfast together inside the cover of that Bible is Acts 17, 11. 
where it says the the Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. And he wrote on there, he said, don't be a spoon-fed Christian. Dig into this word. You know, I was was actually meeting with a a couple of guys today, younger guys. They were like, who's the guest today? And I said, well, longtime guy, Tommy Nelson. And I, I had to tell these, I had to explain to these guys what a cassette ministry was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still remember yeah, I getting those with cassettes. Real, real, but uh, yeah, cassette. <laughs> you know, it's been said that most Christianity is a uh, sermonettes for Christianettes. Yeah, yes. that is a sad deal. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. Well, well, Tommy, um, th- since we got you on here, I, I wanted to ask you, um, in light of what's going on in our world with Israel. You, you preached a message that, um, I ended up, uh, uh, I hate to say stealing because you know, I, I stole you some were, of your you stuff were, on you Israel. You were generous. He yeah. gave you a lot of credit. I, I gave you credit because it was just so impactful to me and Lori that we started weeping at the end of your message mm-hmm. about Israel. It was just so impactful. Yeah. And, and so I've always been a big believer. If I'm blessed by something, I want to share it with other people. That's so, the way I am. And so I shared those things you said about Israel, why they are important to us. Would you say that somewhere along the line, the the American church has lost that? Oh, yeah. That, that feeling of the importance of Israel in the big scheme of things? Well, God said to Abraham, the father of the Jews, he said, uh, I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you land. It's yours. I'm going to give you a great descendants. I'm going to multiply you hugely like the stars of heaven. And he did. And then he said, I'm going to bless you. And he said, uh, because they are the one nation that are the representative of the true, infinite, personal, monotheistic God who is Trinity. Uh, there is no other nation. I mean, there's lots of polytheistic nations. There's a lot of nations into astrology. There's a lot of them into meditation. A lot of religions into good works. But there's only one with one infinite personal God, whose name is Yahweh, i.e. Jehovah, who uh, is is the creator and gives the Bible and gives his son and gives eternal life and gives us hope in the return in his kingdom. There is only one, and thus Israel is ipso facto with the true God. And thus God blessed them. Mm -hmm. They they had bestowed on them the law of God and then the the history of Israel encased in the writings and then the prophets and then the poetry of um, Psalms and Proverbs and Job's and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then the Gospels and Acts and the Epistles and Revelation. So you go from the beginning to the end. And God said, uh, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And that's not simply because of God's sibling favoritism. It's because Israel represents the true God. Mm -hmm. And thus, for you to hold Israel in contempt and to hate them is one in the same with hating their God. Mm -hmm. And so anywhere in the Bible you see Gentiles very favorable to the people of God. They know the blessing of God, and where you see the uh, Nebuchadnezzars and the Sennacheribs and the um, 
um, the Persian kings and the Roman emperors and the and Antiochus Epiphanes of the Greeks, whenever you see them raise against Israel, when you see Pharaoh raised against him, that you see destruction that comes because they hold God in contempt. And so they are the nation that gives us the knowledge of God and man in the image of God, and they give us the um, the Bible. They give us the ability to think in antithesis of right and wrong and knowing why something is right. They give us an answer for where evil comes from, how it's removed, for how kings should rule, the, the access to God and salvation. And so if you take the Old Testament and then the New Testament, the New Testament is no more than the exporting of Judaism among the Gentiles. It's taken the Old Testament view of God, and through Jesus Christ that went to the church and the Gentiles, you export it worldwide. And in that, you have the Old and New Testament, the Judeo-Christian worldview. That has been the greatest culture in the history of man. And so God literally has blessed the world through Abraham, his nation, the book, and the Savior, uh, and and as a res- that's what disturbs me now in the last few weeks of seeing protest against Israel. Mm-hmm. The only way you will see that is by an ignorant people that have no earthly understanding of who Abraham, what Israel is, what the Bible is. The only way that you will go and slap this bull on the nose <laughs> is when you don't understand who the bull is. You to to speak against Israel and to oppose and to vilify Israel is to vilify God, and so it, it just kind of goes with 21st century culture of just terminal ignoramity that we have, and that's why this is happening. Is we have a culture that has no earthly idea who Abraham is. Mm, well, I was going to ask you that. Uh... The the anti-Semitism that we have seen now in our country during the last few months since the October seventh yeah. thing, it, it is not. It, it's almost like anti-Semitism on steroids compared to everything we've seen before that. Except, you know, it nothing has disturbed me more. Even the Supreme Court um, uh, trying to sanctify homosexual marriage. Um, feminism, existentialism, you name it, none of those have distressed me as much as our country's response to Israel. That has sent shivers down my spine as to how far our country has gone. And sadly enough, if you took a bunch of people aside and said, let me tell you what Western civilization owes Israel, and the, this is the magic kingdom, is Israel. There have been ten attempts through history, this last one being the tenth, to do a genocide and a destruction of Israel. Mm-hmm. All of the nations that tried it have become archaeological digs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Israel prevails. Uh, one, Frederick the Great, who was an Enlightenment uh, rationalist in his day, his uh, court. He said to his court chaplain, "Prove to me the Bible is true." He said, "One word, sire, Israel." Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can't explain Israel except through the Bible, and to hold Israel in contempt is the most dangerous thing that a culture can do, because they hold God in contempt. They are Nebuchadnezzar raising their face in the face of God and saying, look what I did, and God will reduce you to a cow, and he will cause your hair to grow like eagle's wings, and the eagle will be landed. He'll be grounded 
if you lift up your face against God. Mm-hmm. Ask Nebuchadnezzar, Sennacherib, uh, Cambyses, uh, ask Alexander the Great, Antiochus, Caesar, Caligula. Ask those guys what happens. Ask Hitler, ask Stalin what happens when you raise your fist against the Almighty and his people as to what will happen to you. And so this has distressed me more than anything in our culture is to see this anti-Jewish idea. It, it is really disturbing. Well, I know you live, I mean, you're, you're there in Denton, you're, you're in a college town, uh, and you have a lot of college students that go there. Did you get any right. kind of blowback to that message on Israel? Uh, you know, I really didn't. Um, I, I didn't get any whatsoever. And I think because... One of the things you do to to keep from getting blowback is you hide behind the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I gave that lesson, I said, if you don't like it, you just don't like the Bible. When anybody asks me what I think about, what do you think about homosexuality, homosexual marriage, about transgender, what do you think about wokeism, what do you think about anything? I say, well, let me let me preface with this. I'm a Christian. That means Christ. And that means that God intervened in human history and brought it to its uh, culmination through coming into history in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So I don't have any opinions on supernatural things. I have a Bible. I have no room for speculation. I know whom I have believed. And so when you ask me what I think about something, the answer is I don't think anything. I read. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl because the Bible doesn't speak to that. I can't tell you... You know, whether to part your hair right, left, or in the middle, or whether you need to get a toupee, I can't tell you any of that. Mm -hmm. But you can figure that out on your own. But in the things of God, of right, wrong, and of meaning, I've got a book that you can hold between your thumb and your forefinger that goes from Genesis to Revelation. Mm -hmm. And it will tell you every essential idea. And the Bible is not silent on sexuality, on gender, on right, on wrong, on philosophy, on religion, on how to approach God, on what a husband is, what a wife is, what a kid is what child-rearing is. The the problem with the Bible is you have too much information. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got to put it in volumes with all that God has to say. And so that's when they come to me and say, i got a problem with what you say, I say, no, you ain't got a problem with what I said. you got a problem with God. Mm -hmm. That's what he said. Now, take your argument to the Holy of Holies and see if he'll answer you. Mm -hmm. But that's what the Bible says. Well, you know, I was I was thinking back to your message, and and one of the uh, one of the the points you made is that Israel is the standard of divine might. And I was a pilot in the military, and I remember yeah. flying against those guys, and we were always amazed by their fighter pilots. It, yeah. it, it's almost like they did have even today. You know, even even where they are today. And to look in the middle of where they are, if you look at a map and you see all the Islamic influence around them and that little speck in the middle, there's no way that that can happen apart from God, you know? They're they're as big as uh, New Jersey. That's why when you take a trip to Israel, it's a very simple trip because you can travel just about two, three hours in every direction. <laughs> what I love about borders. it. Yeah. And so it's like going to the Panhandle. I mean, it's a real small kind of place. And it, if you take all the continents of the world and push them together, Israel will be in the dead center. Hmm. Uh, they, are the, the, they are the priest of the world. Uh, Ezekiel 19.6 says Israel is a kingdom of priests. If you want to know who God is, you go to Israel. 
Mm-hmm. You don't go to the Arabs. You don't go to the English. You don't go to the to the Greeks or the Romans. You go to Israel mm-hmm. and those who take that Bible and embrace it, which is all Christianity is, mm-hmm. the embracing of the Jewish hope. And so, matter of fact, Paul said, I'm not I'm jailed because the reason I'm in jail is because of the hope of Israel. Mm-hmm. That's it, Christ, the hope of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just tell people that... Uh, you got this tiny little place that is surrounded by 700 times more Muslims than Jews. Mm. And what the Muslims say is that Israel has too much land. Well, and we want it. You, you were one of the first people that I ever heard say this, and I've repeated it a lot since then, is that, you know, is, you know, Christianity is not a rogue offshoot. I remember when I was no. in Israel, I was at the wall and I was talking to a rabbi and he said, Jesus was a rogue rabbi. And, and, and he said exactly what no. you said. It's not. And you said it is true Judaism. I'd never heard yes. anybody say that, Tommy, until you shared that, that our Bible's Jewish, our Messiah's Jewish, you know, and that could you just speak to that for a second well, about Paul had to say that he said we are of the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God who glory in Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh mm-hmm. whenever Paul writes his book of a, of a polemic on Christianity the book of Romans mm-hmm. all Romans is is an Old Testament Bible study mm-hmm. um, Paul doesn't say anything original when he talks about the uh, uh, nature of salvation, he talks about Abraham, and he talks about David. Uh, when he talks about the illustration of true rebirth, he talks about circumcision. When he talks about, um, you know, the deliverance of God, he talks about Passover. Yeah, when he talks about the atonement, he speaks about Yom Kippur. And so, yeah, uh, that's why the early church would always go to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, because they were sending a message. This is not rogue Judaism. This is true Judaism. Mm. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, said Paul. Neither Mm. is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is the heart by the Spirit, not the letter, and his praise, which is the word uh, Judah. His praise is not from men, but from God. And so that is what a true Christian is. He is one who embraces the Jewish Messiah and the fulfillment of Passover and Yom Kippur, and someday is waiting to come home in the tabernacle, Feast of Tabernacles, and where he will dwell in the land. And so, and I think that throughout our history, early on, there was the belief in the return of Christ and that he would establish his kingdom in Israel. After about 70 AD, you didn't have any Jews, and so we helped God out. And instead of um, saying that there would be a hope for Israel someday, we made the church Israel and what is called uh, amillennialism. And then in about the 17th, 18th century, we got into more into uh, postmillennialism, that the church was going to bring about a kingdom on the earth that we were going to bring about. And at the end of which Christ would come, post-millennialism. And then after World War One, we started saying, you know, we're not doing too well. I don't think that we're going to establish here, and I don't think the church is going to establish a kingdom. Uh, and I don't think this is the kingdom, symbolically. We're going to have to have somebody come back and fix this thing. And so in the 20th century, we have returned to premillennialism. So we've kind of come full circle because of our loss of confidence in man to do this thing, that Israel is the hope of the world. Mm. So 
Israel. Now, when they do evil, uh, if they start, oh, um, you know, uh, okaying, start having a national abortions in Israel, we're going to have to take our stand against that government, just as Jesus did. But on the by and large, we're going to say that is their land. God gave it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Abraham had Ishmael. He was sent out of the land. He's sent to Arabia. Um, Abraham has kids by Keturah, uh, and he sends them out of the land and gave them gifts. The land is for Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. God chooses Jacob, Esau, you are the Edomites, you're out of the land, you're across the Jordan. There is never uh, uh, any variance in the Bible that this land belongs to Abraham by Isaac and by Jacob and by the 12 tribes. It is their land. And so a lot Israel had an immigration policy. Anybody could come into Israel, uh, an alien, and be treated with kindness um, he could not participate in the uh, feast and y- unless he uh, became Jewish. Uh, see also Ruth and Rahab <laughs> and yeah. Tamar and Ebed the uh, the um, Ethiopian, uh, Ebed Melech, and all kind of guys. Naaman, that you know, uh, Naaman he got saved. And he said, "Load me up." <laughs> he t- to he took some those. dirt back, didn't he? <laughs> Of the of the uh, Jordan, I'm taking it back with me. Exactly, because I'll never offer an idol on anything but Jewish, or offer an offering on anything but Jewish soil. I love it. And hey. so the Bible is real clear on this is what these are who has the land. Amen. Hey, Tommy, we're going to take a quick break. You hang on after the break. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. SWAT Radio. Right here. Yeah, all right, buddy. Thank you so much, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll take a quick break, and I hope you'll join us when we get back. By the way, if you want to check out that that sermon that we're talking about, it's uh, I believe it's called Israelology. Yeah, (laughs) it's from October twenty fourth. Go to DentonBible.org, and you can just click on their sermon tab, and you'll see that. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be right back. SRN News, I'm John Scott. The GOP-led House expels embattled Republican Representative George Santos of New York amid his mounting legal and ethical woes. The first-term lawmaker easily survived the first two votes aimed at closing the book on his short congressional tenure. However, momentum for his removal had been building on both sides of the aisle following the release of a scathing ethics committee report that accused Santos of engaging in criminal wrongdoing. Capitol Hill reporter Edwin Mora. Also at SRNNews.com, Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court, has died. She was 93. O'Connor died in Phoenix of complications related to advanced dementia and a respiratory illness. In this archive audio from 2008, O'Connor told a Senate panel that more was needed to be done to diagnose and treat Alzheimer's patients. What we have to ask is whether this rapid growth is inevitable. And I think it's not if we can fund the research and encourage it and enable testing to be done and get clinical trials coordinated. O'Connor was an unwavering voice of moderate conservatism on the court. She retired in 2006 and was replaced by Samuel Alito. 
Israel's war with Hamas resuming in full force. Airstrikes hit houses and buildings in the Gaza Strip minutes after a week-long truce ended. Terrorists in Gaza resumed barrages of rocket fire into Israel, which was also exchanging fire with Hezbollah militants in Lebanon. Israel and Hamas traded blame for ending the ceasefire. The Dow ahead 231 points, and the Nasdaq is up 35. This is SRN News. This is Max McLean. Jesus' first miracle was driving out demons. What was his second miracle? Listen to the Bible from Mark 1. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. From Mark 1, listen to the Bible. It's great for the soul. To hear more, go to radiobible.org. No active accidents, but there is a broken-down vehicle on the West Beltway, 295 northbound at the ramp to San Jose Boulevard. Also, there's congestion near downtown I-95 southbound from the MLK 20th Street Expressway to before Beaver Street. And there's congestion on the West Beltway, 295 southbound near Pritchard Road. Mostly cloudy tonight, low 64. Saturday, partly sunny with a chance of storms, high 81. From the Traffic and Weather Center, I'm AJ. Joy to the world. Hey, folks, welcome back to SWAT Radio. Yes, that is some good Christmas music. By the way, Tommy, we have been playing Christmas music. I think, what are we on, like week four? Yeah. I think we started I can, it like I can play early. it all well. Tommy, you know, I have I have girls with Down syndrome, and they love Christmas music, especially my nonverbal Abby. And she she would she would listen to it year-round. So, and I don't have a problem with it. Do you? No, I don't. <laughs> hey, Tommy. Tommy, you there? Oh, there he is. Okay. Hey, so Tommy, I was thinking uh, one of the things Vicky and I love when we watch your messages is your singing at the end, how you, 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 you take on and, uh, you know, I'll just be honest. I wouldn't say you're gifted at that, but it is such an encouragement. Where did you learn that from? I mean, you had to be taught that, right? You mean, well, I've got a, I got our family is musical, but I uh, I can sing if I can stay within about one octave. 
All right. I'm it's okay. just a good thing you got Kindle out there. That's all I'm going to say. I got Kindle, and I can pick my song. <laughs> exactly. If you don't try to do something you shouldn't be doing. Amen. I'm real good with Merle Haggard. So. <laughs> I, I liked your quote of Merle Haggard. You see, I think, was it in this message? I think it may have been this. Uh, yeah. Israelology, you went into a little Merle Haggard at the end. I went in a little. <laughs> well, let's see. That might have been, I did a message on... Um, the eight essential vitamins of raising a child. And uh, yes, I yes. talked about how a child better learn respect. And I said, that reminds me of the song by the great prophet Merle Haggard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's what he of did. Mama tried. Mama tried. That's right. 21 in prison. <laughs> Doing life without parole. No one could steer me right. But, but Mama, Mama tried. tried. <laughs> exactly. <Great>. Well, I, <laughs> Hey, Merle Haggard and Andy Griffith. I mean, you got those, buddy. Oh, baby. Uh, Andy. Oh, baby. <laughs> well, hey, Tommy, I want to go back to Israel real quick for a couple of things. And then I, I want to get into... Um, I want to ask you a question about dispensationalism. Uh, okay. All right, but first on this Israel thing, getting back to the Palestinian, all these you know pro-Palestinian protest. One of the things that has struck me about it is the same people that are pro-LGBTQ yeah. are all that it's all those people, the progressives who don't even realize that these people over in, if Hamas was empowered, they'd kill them all, <laughs> you know? Yes, Hamas will take a, a homosexual and throw him off the top of a building. Yeah. yeah. And so you don't want to be um, homosexual in uh, Arabia or among the Muslims. Isn't that interesting yeah. to you, O, that yes, the same, and, and I think you alluded to it in your um, message that, in this particular message, that what we're seeing right now is the result of booting God out of all of our institutions. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. If, one, if you're going to be anti-Israeli, you have to do away with the Bible. And it's kind of like wokeism. If you're going to find the problem in our country as being white, male, heterosexual, cisgender people— at some point, that boxcar is going to work all the way back to God. Mm -hmm. If they are in any way believers in God, mm -hmm. then they are inhibitory to our culture, and we've got to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. And the same way, if you're going to get rid of Israel, at some point you have to get rid of God, Christ, and the Bible. Mm -hmm. If you're going to get rid of absolute morality of right and wrong, at some point you've got to work your way back to the Bible and get rid of the Bible. That's why when you get the Ten Commandments— before you get to not stealing, not doing adultery, not murdering, not slandering, and not coveting, you have to back up to honor your father and mother. That's where the truth comes from. And then you've got to back up further to the one God who is not made into an idol, that you honor his name and you honor the creation that's coming from God. Those four, first four commandments are about God. The fifth one is about the teacher, and then the next one is to the students. So once you're going to get rid of morality, you got to back all the way up to commandment one, and you got to get rid of God. Mm. Well, you know, in Second Timothy, it says in the last days, right? Yeah. It, you, you know, it talks about how children will be disobedient to their parents. There yeah. will be God. Un, there will be this godlessness. There will be brutal. All the things that we see right now, and one of the questions that was posed to, to ask you is what do you see happening 
with end time biblical stuff because you know back i can remember when desert storm was going on i was in the marine corps and guys were coming up to me asking me hey what do you think about this are we in the last days this was back in 1990 right, right? what do you see now tommy since we we've gone we're 30 years past that and uh, is it just a cycle that continues do you see more of a ramping up toward those end times um uh, prophecies. Yeah, I do. I think all of the Bible is a movement towards, well, after the flood, you have the Tower of Babel and this de- the dissemination of man to slow the evil process. As you move through the Bible, you come to the end where Babel comes together again, worldwide rebellion against God. And so the things you look for, for end-time theology, are... are Um, You look for the regathering of the physical nation of Israel. Of course, that happened in the 1940s. Then secondly, you look for the apostasy to come first. Hmm. And that means the rejection of the Judeo-Christian idea, the rejection of God, the rejection of the Bible, the rejection of right and wrong. Paul said the apostasy must come first. Second Timothy, difficult times will come. Uh, First Timothy um, it says, uh, oh, how's he put it? Men will be um, lovers of self, not lovers of God. The Spirit explicitly says that in the last days, difficult times will come. And so Second uh, Tim 3, 1 Tim 4, 2 Thess 2, you're going to have apostasy, mm-hmm. the rejection of God. And then the third thing you're going to see is the world moving toward uh, one world ideology of Babel. When men come together in unity, it's never for good unless it's the church. Hmm. God spread out the nations because there's nothing that will be impossible for them as far as evil. As you see man coming together, they will join together against the Lord and his Messiah. Hmm. And then you will see uh, the complete destitute nature of philosophy and government, that every philosophy has been tried and it's failed, every governmental political system has been tried and it's failed, every economic system has been tried, and in and of itself it has failed, and that what we're going to need is one singular individual who is an atheist to be absolute ruler, and you're going to have to see Europe come together into a final empire. Mm. And so all of those things are slowly starting to move Uh, toward that scenario. And of course, once you remove the church, you go from zero to 60. (laughs) Yeah. So you you can't really say, well, we're not there yet. Well, you um, have the Lord uh, descend from heaven and and shout the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ rise, and we who are alive and caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll find out (laughs) what will happen when the restrainer is removed. Mm-hmm. You know, the angel said to Lot, we can do nothing until you are hence. Mm-hmm. Once you remove Lot from Sodom, once you get Rahab safe and sound within the wall, then everything comes down. And so you can't really say, well, we're a ways off. No, if you have the phenomena of the restrainer taken away, that of the church, everything comes down real quick. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that was good. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm glad that's recorded. I'm going to go back and just listen to that again. But uh, the uh, the the issue of end times, we know, you know, it, it, people refer to it as eschatology and and premillennial. You you alluded to that right. earlier, and amillennial. You, you did a 
a, a sheet years ago. I think I was out there. Lori and I lived out there at the time on dispensationalism. It, right. it has come under fire a lot recently, at least in places that I've I've been reading. And uh, there, there was one particular guy who wrote about it, and he said, you know, um, that uh, he quoted a guy named Tom Hicks that basically said it allows the Old Testament to wrongly have a priority over a New Testament, which I would disagree with that statement. Yeah, I would uh, disagree with that. Yeah. Um, could you give us a, um, a little <laughs> synopsis real quick of – uh, you know, one, you know, one of the arguments is, well, it hadn't been around that long. It's something that's a new theology that's only popped up in the last couple of hundred years. They didn't believe it in the early church. Can you speak to that just a little bit, Tommy, of the importance of how we interpret yeah. the Bible and all that? Well, dispensationalism is it starts with a literal interpretation of the Bible. That's the grounding of it. You don't try to symbolize anything or. Um, um, spiritualize anything. It is a literal rendering of the Bible. And the um, the whole purpose of the Bible, number two, is not merely the salvation of man, but it's the glory of God mm-hmm. through all of the Bible. And it is a belief in what is called progressive revelation, that the Bible didn't come down to Adam in the Garden of Eden and Schofield binding red letter edition. <laughs> it slowly and surely began to build up and it builds over a historical narrative. And so dispensationalism looks at the progressive revealing of God in the in the scripture and in history. And it it records God's changing. Now it's not God changes in his nature, it never does, and it's not man changing and becoming better because that's not. And it's not God changing in how he will save man. That never changes. But what does change is God's um control of the human race and the stipulations he put. In the Garden of Eden, in innocence, Adam and Eve were simply told, don't eat of this tree, eat of this one, this one and have uh, eternal life. And they blew it. And so God then makes a promise, and he says the uh, seed of woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head, and now what I want you to do is, as God said to Cain, do right and your countenance will be lifted up. Man had sacrifice set up in the garden, a symbol of the one that was coming, and man was to trust in the mercy of God, and he was to do right. And what you have is the failure of man up until the flood, that the flood ended up with evil was on man's heart continually. And so putting him under his conscience to do what was right did not work. Man rejected it, and God had to destroy him. So after the flood, God changes his rule of man, and it becomes tighter. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, before the flood, we simply separated uh, Cain, put a mark on him, and everybody knew this is what happens to a murderer. Well, that didn't restrain man. And so now, uh, after the flood, we're going to have the institution of the rule or the dispensation or the administration of government. So we now have government with the privilege and the responsibility of governing in the image of God. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, because he is the image and the glory of God. So God is, and you have innocence in the garden, then a rebellion, and man is under conscience, and now man is under government. And on all of the, as they change, it's because man rebels. And so after government, lo and behold, 
uh, Doug, we get to Genesis chapter 10 and 11. We see a guy named Nimrod conquer like eight or nine different cities. Mm -hmm. He is called a great hunter before God. He is a killer. And uh, government is now used against God. And so God now does something new because government will not restrain man's evil. So God makes a promise after the flood, I will never destroy man again by a flood. And so now we take a nation. We take Abraham. And in Abraham, that's Genesis 12, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the, the 12 sons, they are given promises by God. I want you and your descendants to love me because I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to make, be a blessing to you. And you're going to be a blessing to all the world, so you have the dispensation of promise. But how does it end up? The brothers murder their brother, uh, Joseph, or so they think. They lie to their daddy for 20 years and break his heart until finally they are brought underneath the heel of God. And then while they are in the land of Goshen, all of a sudden they start falling into idolatry again. And so the promises of God to the Jewish fathers did not control them. They are guilty of idolatry. They are guilty of murder and fratricide and disobeying their father. And so now we're going to write it down for them. So now you have the dispensation of law. And God gives them religious. He gives them moral. He gives them civic. He gives them um, ceremonial laws to keep them under control until the day that Messiah comes and we will have a new covenant. And so Israel is under law. How do they do? Well, by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, the northern ten tribes are gone. The southern tribes are in captivity. The nation has been obliterated because it would not keep the law of God. And so it rebelled in the garden. It rebelled against conscience. It rebelled against government. And it rebelled against um, the promises given to the fathers. And it rebelled against divine law. A man was 0 for 5. And now we see the coming of Christ calling the Jewish nation to repentance, and we see that they're going to try him six times, find him innocent, and then torture him for six hours, and then lie about his resurrection. And man rejects his Savior, but in the um, mystery of God, that evil thing becomes a good thing, and now we begin the age of grace, that now all men can come to God without worrying about the law because it's been fulfilled in the death of Christ, and God can grant you new life and put the law in your heart. So now we are under the dispensation of grace, and for God to do that, he made a point by taking the temple and destroying it by removing the Jewish priesthood so nobody can say we're under law again. It's under grace, and you say the ongoing of the church. Question, Doug, we're now in the time of grace. Has the world, as God said, he has commanded men everywhere to repent, having fixed a day in which he will judge the world through a man having furnished proof that he's raised him from the dead. Has the world repented to the offer of God for salvation? No. What you say? No. No. They have and not. so innocence didn't work. Conscience didn't work. Um uh, government didn't work, the promises didn't work, law didn't work, and now grace has not worked. God hasn't changed, man hasn't changed, and salvation hasn't changed. From the Garden of Eden on, every dispensation, man is saved by believing in the God of righteousness and mercy who provides sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so now, 
at the end of this time, we're going to have judgment. And so God will remove his people, and the earth will have the tribulation period where it will be punished for its renunciation of God, at the end of which Christ shall return, and then we will have the world under the kingdom of God. That it will be face to face. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now we know in part, then we'll know fully as we are fully known, and you'll have the kingdom of God. You go to Revelation 20. Satan is released from his bondage for a short period. Man is tempted, just like the Garden of Eden. Has man learned to submit to God? Wouldn't you think that after a thousand years of glory, those all those born during that time will be righteous and will obey God? <laughs> Yeah. They are not. They're what's called millennials, okay? <laughs> and so they now, in that last temptation, the world gathers outside the holy city. And so innocence hadn't worked, conscience hadn't worked, government hadn't worked, the promises hadn't worked, law hadn't worked, grace hadn't worked, and the kingdom has not worked. What can God do now? There's nothing he can do. He's done everything. Through all of this sinful morass, God has saved out his elect. Through all of history, he has saved out his people. And so now what he will do is he will burn down the stage that it's occurred on, planet Earth and the universe. The Earth will will melt with intense heat. The elements melt with intense heat, and the Earth and his works be burned up. He'll make new heavens and a new Earth. Heaven will come down to rest on a new heaven and a new Earth, and it will be like a carrying a bride across the threshold. And we will now have the lake of fire, and there will be nothing of evil ever to show itself. And we will have new heavens and a new earth, and they shall reign forever. Revelation 22.5. You could put, um, and uh, oh, how do the Grimm's fairy tales always end? And they lived happily ever after. Come, Lord Jesus. (laughs) Yes, that's how the Bible ends. So that what I just gave you. Brad and Doug, is a literal rendering of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to make Israel uh, the church Israel. I'm not saying that the church will bring in a perfect kingdom. I'm interpreting it literally. And so I am a dispensationalist because of the evil of man. At no point will man submit. The only thing we can do with him is put him in the lake of fire. And so that's why I am a dispensationalist. I never have to apologize for anything in the Bible. It all fits uh, within its context, and uh, everything will work out to the glory of God. And and you've taught through, in fact, when you teach your young guns, you teach them Genesis, if I remember right, Genesis, yep. Matthew, Romans, Matthew, and Revelation. Romans and Revelation, yeah. yeah. Beginning, middle, and end of the Bible. And so if I, and I have, that's why I think that the seminaries that are dispensational are the seminaries that are strictly biblical, and they will teach the, the English Bible. Dallas Seminary was unique because it taught every single book in the Bible, and when you do that, you're going to end up a dispensationalist, where you don't have to be apologizing for what you're saying. And that's why, and of course, in, in American history, there was no Israel since 70 A.D., and so, you know, I can understand why certain people would say, you know, the church is Israel, or the church is going to bring about a, a Israeli kingdom someday, especially in the times of the um, Industrial Revolution, the Medical Revolution of, uh, you know, in the 18-1900s when things began to perk up so much. But the World Wars cured us of that 
notion. Mm-hmm. And so I am a card-carrying dispensationalist because of the glory of God, because of the failure of man, the literal interpretation of the Bible and the nation of Israel. I am a dispensationalist. Well, Tommy, a quick question uh, about Revelation. Uh, in chapter 6, it talks about um, after the fifth seal, there's people, souls who have been slain for the word martyrs. Are those right. people martyrs prior to um, the the tribulation period? Are those people... No, it isn't. They are, they are those that once the tribulation begins, the darkness is raised from Israel. Mm-hmm. And you will now have 144,000 Jews that become true Jews. They mm-hmm. are priests and kings. And they now, the next thing that you see after those 144,000 is you see in heaven an innumerable group of Gentiles that have been killed mm-hmm. because the 144,000 have begun to preach, and you now see an enormous ingathering of Gentiles, and they are put to death. And you see uh, their souls are in heaven. Their bodies will wait until Christ returns and the tribulation saints will be raised. And so, no, during the tribulation, you're going to have an enormous number of people saved. There is a, a real stream through the book of Revelation of the mercy of God saving out a people, both of Israel and of the world. So... Uh, that's that's where I see them. Okay, uh, well, who's reproducing in the kingdom in the millennium? In the kingdom, when Christ returns, physically. Satan will be bound. Christ will be physically here. Israel will be the the joy of the earth. Christ and His church and the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints will rule, which is pretty supernatural. And that is one reason why we have gone toward amillennial and postmillennialism is you don't have to be quite so supernatural. The, uh, but the 18, people will 19, be physically 20, reproducing, right? Yeah, they will day. be physically reproducing, and there is speculation that there will not be physical death during the um, kingdom unless one is uh, extravagantly disobedient and a blasphemer of God. That there will be sin, because there's still going to be a sacrifice there in Israel. The nations will come at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they will recognize Israel's glory in the Messiah. And so you're going to have, during the kingdom, birth, and the earth is going to grow huge uh, during, the, uh, during the kingdom of God. So all of those people who are tempted are all of those people who are the most privileged people in the history of the world to be born. They're still sinners, but they'll be born into a world where there is no world system that is against God. There is no uh, false church. There is no false politics. There is a kingdom of God. And that's why it goes on for a thousand years, because unless we had a final temptation, it would never end. His kingdom will have no end, because his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It will never, ever fade away. Our king will never have an affair with Bathsheba. Uh, Our king will never murder Uriah. Our king will never get 700 wives and go after their idols. This king will be absolutely perfect, the king of kings. And so that kingdom would go on forever unless God had brought it to an end with a final temptation. Well, hey, we only got a minute left, but it says they would not repent even when they suffered, right? And that. Yeah, that that man will. the The tribulation period is like the the final 
testing. As a matter of fact, it's called the time of testing that comes about the whole world. It's a punishment, but it is a testing to the world that God backs the world into a box canyon. Mm-hmm. You have no other choice but God or Antichrist, Christ or Antichrist. Which one would you like? Mm. And so uh, it's, it's kind of the final choice of man. And uh, the only thing that it can do, they will not repent of their immoralities and their, their murders. Only thing that we can do is to come back in the glory of his uh, power and the, with flaming fire and to bring all things underneath his feet. Amen. Well, Amen. Tommy, our time is up, and I'm, I want to tell people real Makes quick. Makes me wish I was dead. I, I know. <laughs> well, Denton Bible, D-E-N-T-O-N-B-I-B-L-E.org. Go there. You can listen to past messages. It's been a pleasure, Brad. Hadn't it? Oh, on man, a- always is, Tommy. Uh, such a treat. We'll get you on back soon. <laughs> sometime back. all right oh, we love you tommy we're praying for you tell your sweet bride hello all right